Welcome to the Criterion Connection, a podcast where two film lovers explore the Criterion Collection by connecting these iconic films to each other through the greater tapestry of cinema. We craft double features that are connected in some way, be that thematically, through the artists, the decade, the artistic movement, and more. The only caveat is that every film we watch must be a part of the Criterion Collection. Oh, and buddy, this is going to be a big episode because we will be <laughs> highlighting some big old additions to the collection itself. Uh, we also highlight hidden gems on the Criterion channel and so much more. I am Mackenzie, and this is my lovely co-host, Ian. Hello. You're seeing me through a canted angle right now. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, because this week we are discussing an early spine, spine number 64. I love that double didge right there. The Third Man, directed by Carol Reed, who I thought was a woman at first. And I, you know, shows what I know about the name Carol. I was thinking about Todd Haynes. <laughs> so early, this uh, film's out of print now, unfortunately. Really? Oh my God, yeah, I didn't you know that. cannot buy it from the Criterion Collection. I had to watch it on Studio Canal Collection. Oh, wow. It's on the, um, well, it's on the channel right now. Mm, uh, yes. So they do have the rights to it streaming. Somehow, and yeah. so I was able to watch <laughs> it and they have all of the bonus features. So you could pretty much get the third band release. There's like 40 features on this thing on the Criterion channel. I could not believe. That's um, crazy. I, I didn't even it's, look. It's like recordings of, I think a like radio play version of the show, but it's like mm. all the different places they did it. So it's like 10 recorded. It's so weird. Oh anyway, a lot of you can watch a lot of the third man and hear the same story over and over and over again if you'd like on the Criterion channel. Um, but that's for later in the show. Because Ian, I feel like you've watched some big stuff this week. I want to know what you've been watching. I haven't watched pretty much anything, so feel free to take up all the time you need. <laughs> well, yeah, no, definitely. I've watched a lot of great, great stuff, a lot of new stuff. Um, I kind of hinted on our last episode that I was getting really excited about all the new movies that are coming out. Mackenzie and I just spent the past 30 minutes talking about the Oscar race. I yes. know it's a little early, but this is one of our things that we bonded over initially. I love awards movies. I love awards. I like prestige films. So this is like my time of the year. Um, and yeah, I just haven't watched a lot of movies in theaters, but I'm so excited to get back into the swing of things. And I kicked off my week this week with watching, uh, one of the best or, you know, hottest films to come out of the Cannes Film Festival, winning the Palme d'Or. And I think, as we may have mentioned previously, snubbed by France for its submission for Best Foreign Film at the Oscars. Oh, buddy, um, that's yeah. A, yeah, yeah, it's a Justin Treat's Anatomy of a Fall. And I'm sad to say I was significantly underwhelmed <gasps> by this film. No. Yeah, unfortunately, it just did not work for me in all the ways that it appears to be working for a lot of other people, including a lot of our friends. Um, I thought the courtroom sequences were thrilling. I thought the choices in the cinematography, the specifically the use of close-up time and time again in this film was really interesting and exhilarating. I thought it made for some really interesting you know, filmmaking. But at the end of the day, I really just struggled to connect with it at all emotionally so um yeah just it, i don't think it's going to end up being in my top 10 at the end of this year mm. i'll i'll be excited to see if the oscars nominated even though it wasn't submitted as foreign film but um sandra huller is getting some heat for this as well as yeah. her jonathan glazer film that she's in zone of interest and also i've heard rumblings that it could be the you know that one foreign film they choose to nominate in best picture um it's got a lot of traction, but I just didn't really love it. Um, I don't know what it was. 
It's just, I know, you know Neon is pushing it. Like Neon yeah. is definitely like because as soon as it was announced that the taste of things was going to be France's submission, Neon was immediately like, "We are still pushing this movie in Best Picture. Don't worry." Um, so <laughs> yeah. Neon is definitely gonna try. I think you know, and Neon has a good track record at the Oscars. I mean, Parasite, and oh, most, yeah, obviously sure. many other films. So uh, I still haven't the seen it. The worst person in the world yes. um, is one of theirs. I mean, Neon. Even though it's just a distribution company, they're one of my favorite companies in the cinematic landscape because they they're have great, yeah. brought some of my favorite films to the United States from abroad. Um, but yeah, and uh, you know, and in the completely opposite direction, the uh, homegrown, you know, I guess decimator of the industry itself, Netflix put out the new David Fincher film this week, The Killer, and boy does that film feel like it's decimating the industry i just thought it was such a slog um i know we have a lot of friends who love david fincher and probably loved this movie i am seeing a lot of you know it's a really great action film it's a really great you know thriller paperback you know airport paperback kind of deal i just you know i i found it so boring and unfunny even though it's supposed to be like this meta narrative about david fincher and his career at least that's one take on it um fastbender is great it's nice to see him back in like cold-blooded killer mode and just back in a movie um but other than that i just kind of found it to be kind of just like the regular netflix you know stuff getting thrown out with the bathwater. um <laughs> so maybe that's sacrilege and maybe we just lost a couple of our listening audience but hey I can only speak my truth. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm um, peeping your rating. I think it went down from when you initially logged it. I love whenever I check your ratings and I, I see the ones that have moved lower uh, on a re- as you think about them more. Yeah, my letterbox is a living document, y'all. <laughs> it is always changing. Um, so yeah, those are those are two of the new movies I saw. The third and final one that I really want to chat about briefly is i literally not even two hours ago got out of a showing of martin scorsese's killers of the flower moon and i know i was talking last week about how priscilla it's my favorite film of the year will scratch everything i said i still love that movie (laughs) that movie's amazing it's my second favorite film of the year but holy shit killers of the flower moon what a movie oh what a picture uh as uh, marty might say but damn this movie is intense it is just uh, colossal it is breathtaking it is emotionally a wrecking ball um i got home from seeing this movie and my partner asked me how was it and i just started crying and she was like oh my god come here and i just like crawled into her lap and i was like i can't do anything right now because this movie has just ruined me um yeah i i i Really hope that this goes all the way to Best Picture, even though I haven't seen a lot of the films that will end up being nominated for Best Picture, probably. But I just found it to be such a deeply emotional, powerful, and personal film that I I think this is like kind of cliched at this point, but that movie's just about America. And it is about how awful the history of this country has been to so many people and just how this place in which we a lot of us call home is built on so much bloodshed and lies it's virtuosic filmmaking at the same time some of the you know shots and just sequences in this film are breathtaking and i don't think i've ever seen marty do anything better and i haven't seen everything he's done but i've seen most of it at this point and 
just fuck this movie i <laughs> i i was just taken away i started crying about two hours in at just a innocuous scene and every 15 to 20 minutes i was just you know kind of crying again i found lily gladstone to be immensely uh powerful as uh molly brown in this film and mm -hmm. it's the most i've ever liked leonardo dicaprio and robert de niro's at the top of his game i feel like i'm talking very um technically about this film but i think that's uh because i'm just trying to keep myself away from you know breaking down into tears again because i you know if i talk any more uh flowerly or just get into the more emotional aspects of killers i think i'll start crying again <laughs> it's just it's an important movie and i think you agree with me yeah i love it i mean i and, and if anyone's talked to me about this movie I, I will tell you about the awful theater experience i had and i part of me like thought i wouldn't even be able to rate it because just the projector was messed up. There was a lot of annoying um, other patrons who were, were, were rude and, and ruining a lot of the experience for me. But then I like kept thinking about it and I was like, I just think it's a perfect movie. It's like, and again, that, there's no such thing as a perfect movie, right? Like I think that like, it's perfect to me. I think it is a brilliant movie. I think it's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my life. I think it will hopefully be hailed as, as, as one of the great movies of this decade, uh, if not this millennium. And um that I will be alive during, of course. Um, yeah, it's just, it's brilliant. It's amazing. I love it so much. I can't wait to watch it at home where I can like turn all the lights off. I have my beautiful crisp 4K on my on my TV. Phone's going to be in the other room. All the lights will be off. I will give myself the theater experience I desperately wanted uh, a few weeks ago. But like, I, I can't wait to return to this movie. And I don't even want to acknowledge all the BS about the runtime because it's like, sorry if you can't be an adult and like, watch a movie for a couple hours like just don't go to the fucking movie just don't go to it um but i am excited to watch it again i will be sitting down again to watch it like i i had no issue with the runtime yeah he, the performances are electric the writing is incredible the cinematography is stunning it's amazing it's amazing it's amazing yeah martin scorsese had me in the palm of his you know little wrinkled hand his I was little like, wrinkled not, italian hand i was not going anywhere like not at all i checked my phone just twice just to make sure that like I hadn't gotten a text from anybody screaming, you know, like screaming out for an emergency just because I have a family <laughs> and I just want to make sure that they're okay. But other than that, I was like, let's keep it going. Three more hours. I, I'm down. Like it's, 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 it's to me, the runtime, I remember leaving and I told Rachel, like, by the time I'm leaving, it's like, I can't even remember what it was like at the beginning. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just, I mean that in the sense of, I feel like I lived these years with these people. Yeah. And yeah. I know that some people are like, would that would be a negative comment from some other people. But to me, it is so positive because I feel like, I feel like I lived through these. Cause it, what chronicles a good chunk of years with these with these people and because mm. he takes the time to really dig into all of it like i feel like i was there for all of that and i i i love the length because like yeah i'm like man i saw like a clip of them at the beginning of of, of ernest and and lily i just mixed the actor and the, yeah, and the characters yeah, but you know yeah. what i mean like i watched that clip on twitter of them in the car which is like in the first hour of the movie and then i was like fuck yeah they were like that. Like, like, it's like almost like, it's like, I, I don't know. I just feel like I lived a life with them and I mean that positively. Yeah. And that's like what makes for, I think a really potent impact later on in the film and why you're with Molly so emotionally and why you can kind of get through the really harrowing later hour of last hour of the film. Um, 
but also at the end of the day it's like have y'all ever heard of martin scorsese like his movies are three hours like get yeah whatever he i think that's does, a stupid discussion as well. i'm sorry if any filmmaker on this earth has earned the right to make a movie as long as he fucking wants it's martin scorsese because yeah. that man lives and breathes cinema and he is he is a, i think a hero for me and many other people in terms of the way he loves movies and the way he yeah. loves art and the way he has decided to spend this kind of twilight part of his career not only continuing to interrogate his own feelings about america and his his whiteness and the way he views the world but also using this time on his earth that he has left to uplift cinema from all across our globe and to inspire people to go to the movies and love art and i think that he is just genuinely one of the most inspirational people in the film world yeah. And like, I'm, he's earned it. He can make a fucking eight hour movie and I will be seated. I don't give a no. shit. Marty can do whatever he wants. <laughs> Agreed. And speaking of loving movies, before I kick it over to you, I just want to briefly mention that I love movies and I felt that so, so much as I watched for the first time, Bradley Cooper's A Star Is Born. Um, Ooh. <laughs> it's, it's a messy fucking movie and it is silly and it's campy and it's makes weird choices sometimes but i loved it and it just made me remember how much i love movies and it got me pumped 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 for this award season um for going back to movie theaters and obviously for his new movie maestro which i'm very excited about i am just so excited for that movie and i loved watching a star is born i also just love gaga like i know you do too so i think I think I was predisposed to love it, but I was surprised at how much I actually loved it. Um, I need to, I need to revisit it. I mean, I watched it in theaters when it came out because I'm a little monster, and I mean, it's uh, I have been, yeah, I have been for a very long time in my life. One day we will get into the Lady Gaga of it all, honestly, because I um, I like remember when Just Dance came out. I was like, what is this annoying song? And then Poker Face dropped, and I downloaded the music video to my iPod Nant, like iPod Giga. And I would lay mm. in bed and watch the music video for Poker Face every single night over and over again. And it was like from, and I remember the very distinctly, the paparazzi VMAs performance was the moment I fell head over heels in love with Gaga, which is the one where she uh, hangs herself from a chandelier, uh, and it's like bleeding from the eyes, like that was the moment I was like, this is the artist of my lifetime. And like, I was like 13 and I was like, this is the person that's changed my life. And I still love Lady Gaga, uh, a huge fan of her. So yeah, I was like seated for a star was born. I was like, this is the moment. And uh, I remember loving it, but again, I was younger and uh, obsessed with her and I'm curious about to love it as an adult. I think on it very fondly. And I still believe that, um, Bradley Cooper should have beat Rami Malek that year at the Oscars for best oh, he's actor. So he's really good. good in it. Yeah. He's really, really good in it. Um, God, I'm not going to spoil what it is, but you're going to know what I'm talking about. It went on Twitter recently, that cut of Gaga's final ballad where she's singing it. And then it mm -hmm. cuts to the house. Oh my God. Oh my like, God. That choice. That's brilliant. I think he's <sighs> a really interesting director, actor, and I'm also excited for Maestro. Uh, and yeah, I look very fondly on A Star Is Born. You've made me want to rewatch it because I, 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 I liked it. <laughs> like, is that I, controversial to like A Star Is Born? I thought it was a good movie. I don't know. I mean, I was looking at my mutuals and I was looking at some old reviews. I think, I think the mainstream opinion is that it's a very good movie. But I was just blown away with like how good it was. And yeah, some of my mutuals find um, a lot of it to be in poor taste or some of the choices to be really weird. Huh. 
I don't. I think it's a movie playing to the rafters. I think it's a populist film, and it just made me go like, I love movies. You know, my name is Ian Layden, and I love movies. Like, um, it's a, it's fun, and it's weird, and it's silly, and you know, even though it deals with some very heavy topics, um, I think it's great. Yeah, and I, yeah. I'm surprised to see the division on letter. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised to see the division on letterbox, but like. Yeah, I dig. I dig it. <laughs> I dig this yeah. movie. Shallow. Was that was a moment. Shallow was a cultural <laughs> moment. Everybody. So what good. other movie did that that year? Come on. Yeah. Very excited. The Green um, Book won picture that year. Come on, man. Bullshit. Like 2019 was a weird year. 2018, bullshit. whatever fucking year this movie came out, I don't remember. 2018. You, I guess. You're getting it right because it came out in 2018. It was 2019 when that the happened. The Oscars but... were 2019. Yeah, like yeah. come on. Um, Bradley, I'm, we're watching you. I feel Bradley. like you might one day be in the collection. Hey, this new movie is a Netflix movie, and we know they put stuff Netflix out. Netflix loves it. They do. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, I, You know, I've, I've been seeing you wanting to throw it to me, and I'm going to be real, Ian. <laughs> I did not fucking watch anything. Nothing. And I mean, really, like, no. Like, I just didn't really not watch anything. Not even a nine-hour video about video game lore? <laughs> well, I already talked about that on Austin Danger podcast. <laughs> if you want to hear my stupid fucking Five Nights at Freddy's uh, deep dive, which, like, I'm subscribed to that guy. I'm still watching that man's videos. Um, <laughs> and I have to watch Five Nights at Freddy's this week because I, you'll hear it on ADP. I forgot to. And so, like, me and Kevin are going to talk mm. about it next week. It'll be great. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just haven't really – I've just been kind of depressed this week if I'm being really real. And then I watched The Love Guru and it made me more depressed. So, like – no, it's been a week. didn't lift your spirits. <sighs> Weird. It, it 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 tarnished my will to live. Um, mm. but something that elevated my will to live is these new additions for the Criterion Collection. And if you would indulge me, just because I didn't watch anything and I really want to talk about the movies that were added, would you mind if I let the good people know what has been added to the collection? Oh, let's do it. And I cannot express to people out there uh, <laughs> how excited I was when I just ravenously texted you when I found out what was in this. So please let us know. Yes. Oh, I will let you all know. Um, so first off we have a 4k restoration coming for Macabre and Mrs. Miller, Woo! a movie you love a 4k yes. of our, our dear Bobby Alts uh, is coming one day. I think soon. I don't know. It's not spoiler alert or anything, but we might be talking about this movie sooner than you think. Everybody stay tuned. Um, but for the new additions, boy, oh boy, this was a month for Ian. Spine number 1206, Eric Romer's Tales of the Four Seasons is finally Ooh. coming to the Criterion Collection. We'll talk about it in a second, but that's the big one, obviously, this month. <laughs> Everyone's shitting their pants, but especially Ian is shitting their pants. So yes. uh, that happened. And then we are also getting, for Spine number 1207, uh, a double feature from Johnny Toe, the heroic trio starring recent Academy Award winner Michelle Yeoh, the beautiful Maggie Chung, and the fantastic Anita Moy. Um, yeah, the heroic trio and executioners, the sequel, which I thought it was just the heroic trio. And then I noticed there was a whole second movie in this. So two movies for the price of one, maybe. Yeah. For the price of one ish. Uh, so that's amazing to see. Uh, Raoul Walsh has a second film entering the collection at spy number 1208 with the roaring twenties starring the iconic James Cagney and my man, Humphrey Bogart bogey, my boyfriend bogey. Uh, <laughs> I've been like wanting to put this one on cause it's like, an, it's kind of the last early film of his that he has a significant role in that I haven't watched before I get to the era where it's like treasure of the Sierra Madre and Kane mutiny. Like I'm at that era of my bogey journey um so i'm gonna wait honestly to just probably blind buy those and grab it when it goes on sale and 
pop it into my blu-ray player uh and then finally michael romer's nothing but a man uh is being added which i don't know much about but i'm excited to hear what you think about it i've heard this is incredible films i'm really really excited um but overall just some really amazing additions ian it is not a question what you were most excited about but please talk about it well, before I get to that, I, I just want to say, like, the one that I don't know about, this Michael Romer, Nothing But a Man, I'm incredibly interested in it. Apparently, it was a uh, huge film for Malcolm X himself. Oh, wow. uh, just, you know, uh, apparently just a very, uh, you know, high point for, you know, movies made about black people during the civil rights movement. Um, so very, very interested in that. This is just a great month um excited to have another bogey in the collection we might mm-hmm. be talking about him really soon winky winky <gasps> oh um but also i remember picking up this uh i remember watching the heroic trio and executioners as a double feature myself when they put um like eight films by michelle with michelle yo up on the channel a couple months ago and i can't confirm they both slap as i told you in our dms mckenzie they're not particularly good films in my opinion but they do slap um they're just very fun action films um not usually my bag but i found them to be quite enjoyable but yes finally after months of begging and pleading i emailed criterion and i can't take all the credit because i think they probably had this restoration in the can before i even started emailing them but uh we finally have eric romer's tale of the four seasons which are a quadrilogy um which is not a real word but i'm using it uh of films by eric romer centered around the seasons in a year and they just are you know tales about love and relationships you know concerning hot intellectuals in france which (laughs) i love and uh yeah my favorite of which uh tale of winter is probably one of my favorite films of all time at this point Mm. um just tells the story of a single mom who's hung up on the guy who is the father of her child and doesn't know him because back in the 90s if you didn't exchange phone numbers which they didn't you couldn't find somebody especially if you had met that somebody on vacation um but yeah no it's just a a really you know lovely story about a woman trying to figure out what she wants for herself and her daughter and uh yeah eventually finding love again and they're all kind of have that vibe they're just about really I don't know, like lost young people who are really smart facing, you know, the ennui of the early 90s in Europe. (laughs) So I'm very excited to have these films. They are going to be presented in a beautiful box set. I love the artwork of these films as well as the artwork for everything in this announcement. Like the heroic trio slash executioners box set is amazing looking. It's like an it's like a watercolor or an oil. It's like an oil painting. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It's gorgeous. And then this graphic that they have concocted for your main man is fabulous. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, just all wins down the board. And of course, I'm stoked to see my beloved Macabre and Mrs. Miller get a 4K restoration. But I'm also pissed off once again that I have bought a Blu-ray and now have to upgrade. But hey. That is what we are getting into bed to when we decide to collect these little pieces of plastic. Um, but yeah. I do want to say um, the artist who Al- Alex Zhang is who uh, Alice Zhang is who did the art for Heroic Trio. Um, and they also did the work for uh, Mona Lisa, that that gorgeous art for the Mona Lisa release for Criterion. Uh, sure. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, it's just yeah, really good. Yeah, I appreciate sure. this person's done some other Criterion stuff, but Mona Lisa, I think, is the big one. 
I think that's the other big one. And then the artist who did the Roaring Twenties art, uh, Jennifer Dionisio, uh, also did the art for High Sierra, which is the other Bogart uh, Raoul Walsh film in the collection. So I love that they're uh, working with artists again. Um, and again, yeah, I, I gave both of these artists a follow on Instagram uh, once they were once I found out who they were, and uh, just really cool work. And gosh, Ian, like the January releases were so good. February releases so good. Is this gonna be a good? I I feel I don't want to jinx it, but I'm feeling like this is gonna be a really good year for Criterion releases. You know, you know, knock on wood, but on uh, wood. it's looking to be a really great year for releases and additions to the collection. I'm stoked. This is gonna be. This is just adding so much goodness to our slate of what we could possibly talk about. Amazing artwork, amazing movies that are coming. But what's even more amazing is that. There are some amazing things coming to the Criterion channel this month as well. Yeah, it's one of those episodes, y'all. Um, but I forgot. <laughs> I totally forgot we hadn't <laughs> talked about this yet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We'll we'll be brief um, because you know we don't need to get too deep into it. There's a couple of things I'm really excited for, but I'd love to actually throw it on over to you because while your main boy is getting a Criterion Collection <sighs> edition, your main girl is getting her own program. Yes. On the channel, starring Parker Posey, including films such as The House of Yes, Josie and the Pussycats, a Mackenzie lore classic, uh, <laughs> yes. Party Girl, which has been up there for a little while with a new restoration, Suburbia, great, yeah. and more. Mackenzie. Ugh. Oh, are you excited? Yeah, the indie queen, Parker Posey. <laughs> I love her. I'm a huge Parker Posey fan. I've seen an inordinate amount of her movies. Josie and the Pussycats is one of the greatest movies of all time. If you have not seen it, it is on the Criterion channel starting December 1st exactly where it belongs baby because the crazy i i love josie so much i got to go to a a screening at the letterbox in 35 millimeter at the letterbox at the music box uh in uh 35 millimeter with the directors uh and it was really great to hear them talk about how like proud they are that it's been reclaimed as like an anti-capitalist classic cult classic uh because it's perfect and great and it it's it's amazing uh and so i'm really excited for that uh i've seen a lot of these already like party girl is wonderful day trippers is pretty funny uh uh, I'm really excited for House of Yes because that is the movie where she plays like someone who thinks she's Jackie O and also like wants to fuck her brother or something. Like it's interesting. Yeah, it seems like incesty and crazy. Um, and then Clock Watchers, I'm really wanting to see, and I've, I've it's been streaming r- randomly a lot lately, and I just keep missing it. So I'm excited to kind of check out that. And I might watch Suburbia. I was in the play Suburbia in college, so I am oh, wow. familiar with that story and uh, that 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 piece of work. So. Yeah, I'm really excited for Parker Posey and not to not to steal it, but I'm also very excited for MGM Musicals, another collection coming. Uh, oh boy, it's going to have Broadway Melody of 1940 for me and my gal, The Pirate, which if you were on Twitter when the Gene Kelly Pirate fan cam went around, have you seen this, Ian? Oh no. <laughs> it is the sexiest a human being has ever looked. Is this oh. fan cam of Gene Kelly in the pirate? I will find it and send it to you. Uh it's I one of the greatest you. fan cams literally ever made. I will post it on our social media if you all want to see it. Uh <laughs> it's so good. Uh so I'm excited to see. I've heard the movie uh, is a little it's a little like f- just fine to bad, but I will be watching. Um Summerstock I'm super pumped about. American in Paris I'm super pumped about. Uh and Brigadoon I'm going to check out. So yeah, like th- those I feel like Parker Posey and MGM musicals are the two things I'm the most excited about. Uh, but also Morvern Collar, I'm pretty excited to see because I've been dying to watch that. So, Yeah, me too. I am definitely right with you. Uh, those are the two I'm the most excited about. Uh, and then Morvern Collar. Also, 
the Cassandra cat uh, is a Polish. I'm sorry. It's not Polish. It's a Czech new wave cult classic Ooh. Um, from the likes of, you know, daisies and uh, watching uh, trains closely. Uh, you know, just one of those really out there, weird avant-garde uh, pieces from the Czech New Wave that I remember seeing a couple reviews come in for recently because it got a new restoration. Also, uh, you know, your co-host over at ADP, I think, has this rated at five stars. Whoa. So I've been excited to see this for a little bit. We're also getting another, count them, like one, two, three in the past couple of months, another noir program, this time Holiday Noir. Very mm-hmm. fitting. And then I think the final one we should mention for the fine folks out there is we're getting Hitchcock for the Holidays. Uh, it's going to include Rear Window, The Birds, Vertigo, Shadow of a Doubt, and more. So just some, you know, Alfred Hitchcock films to kind of cozy up next to the fire with, with a cup of hot cocoa this holiday season. Yeah, no, it's a it's a really impressive um, list of films that they're putting on the channel. Anything else you wanted to mention? Not really. I mean, again, like, it's a great month. Like, I, I'm, Criterion Channel continues to prove that it is just such a good streaming service and i have there's a lot of huge hitchcock movies i have not watched uh including you know rope and 39 steps and rear window and vertigo and so maybe this is the time they're gonna all be streaming i might as well knock these big boys out so uh, yeah it's so good and again like i mean some the Simbene is coming here uh, like, uh, like a whole collection of his work which uh was just a film forum too i think a whole collect like the i, I would not be shocked if we saw a Simbene uh box set at some point this year from criterion um just a lot of really great stuff lawrence of arabia randomly like it's just like i i recommend going and checking out um a lot of ozu films also like good lord it's just there's almost too much to mention um yeah great stuff coming to the collection in a couple months and then great stuff coming to the channel in a month i love it i love it so much uh yeah gosh it's just like all these all these releases feel like christmas morning every every t- every month i love that I, we get <laughs> yes. to have these awesome announcements like i genuinely feel excited about them every month it's it's great 100 percent. also ian for either either now or after recording i did dm you the gene kelly uh pirate fan cam <laughs> it's again the hottest anyone's ever looked on a fan cam ever it's, it's disgusting it's in our dms <laughs> Okay, okay. Are you okay. gonna watch it right it. now? We're just gonna do it. Discord. The sound is important. The song is really good. Alright, I got the sound. Boom, 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 boom. Ah fuck. What's Discord being stupid for? <gasps> no. No, it's okay, it's okay, we're up. Okay, I thought it was gonna take like a million years to load. Okay, here we go. In three, two, one. <laughs> the c- oh fuck. The cigarette in the mouth? <laughs> How does he do that? Oh, God. It got intense. He just looks so good with this, like, stupid-ass mustache. so good. For everyone, I need you all to know, the fan cam, again, this would do numbers on Twitter, like, every two months. Uh, (laughs) And it's, like, literally he has a cigarette in his mouth, and he, like, I don't know how he fucking does it, but he flips it inside of his mouth, kisses a woman, brings her away from him flips the cigarette back out of his mouth and blows the smoke in her face and it's well, like you, how can yeah. someone how did how is that physically possible for anyone listening go to our instagram page because Mackenzie is now <laughs> legally obligated to post this on our uh, instagram post page. it on our instagram <laughs> oh, that's fucking amazing so i will be seated for the pirate <laughs> needless to say on the criterion channel <laughs> they should post that like if like to do advertising on their page they should just post that fan cam they should put that on the disc, just like they put co-op on the company disc. Yes, yes. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh uh, my gosh. Ian, it is getting over the half hour mark. We've had a lot to talk about, but I think it is time we finally talk about our main film discussion, which I almost totally forgot we had to talk about a whole ass movie, but we do <laughs> because we are talking about Carol Reed's The Third Man. Ian, bring us in. All right. Just a little atmos, some smoke. Turn the camera, canted angle, and here we go. novelist Holly Martins travels to shadowy post-war Vienna only to find himself investigating the mysterious death of an old friend, black market opportunist Harry Lime, and thus begins this legendary tale of love, deception, and murder. Thanks to brilliant performances by Joseph Cotton, Alita Valley, and Orson Welles, Anton Karras's evocative zither score, Graham Greene's razor-sharp dialogue, and Robert Crasher's dramatic use of light and shadow, the third man directed by the inimitable Carol Reed only grows in stature as the years pass. laugh in the middle but um that spongebob ass score getting a call out in the criterion yo (laughs) spongebob okay literally i'm not to start with the most my most negative point about this movie i know we need to talk about our history with it but like i literally popped this movie on i said is this literally from spongebob not you know or like like, spongebob lift this music because it sounds like spongebob and then lo and behold after i finish the film i go to log it on letterbox every joke review is about how the score sounds like spongebob because it does like what the i hated the score sorry What's your history with this I movie? I liked it. Oh, you liked it? I liked it. I liked it. I thought it was fun. It was, I was so annoying and like to me, completely disparate than what I was seeing on screen. It was like, we're digging up a grave. Blink, 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 blink. I was like, what the fuck? You're like, like it just like what I was seeing on screen and what I was hearing with my ears was not matching and I hated it. Yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was fun. Um, uh, <laughs> Sorry, I just fr- dove in No, no, you're instantly. good. No, oh no you're God. good. Uh, I think that is a general consensus. Um, I think friend of the show and uh, user on Letterboxd, not Jada Kiss, who's in the 70 millimeter Discord. Uh, it was the first review I read after watching the film. And, it, you know, there's just one line in their review that says, like many have said, a lot of people close to my age will think of SpongeBob when they hear this score. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't think you can be anywhere between 25 and 35 and not immediately think of spongebob i was like i literally just was watching the film in my living room i was like what the fuck spongebob i could i was literally like there's no way and i just and every single time it just kept coming back (laughs) it made me laugh every time because i was like there's just like gunfights happening and then it's just the most spongebob ass music of all time and i i hated it so much so sorry i did i just had a reaction when the the criterion synopsis called out that score because i find that so interesting that you liked it like why did you like it 
I know we have to get into a better conversation, but like, why? I found it to be, I found it to be interesting. I found it to be an interesting juxtaposition of all like the harrowing, more like seedy things that were going on in the film and just like this kind of jaunty score. I don't, I don't have any like radical take or any like deep feelings about it. I just thought it was fun and interesting and just made for something that kept me interested. Um, yeah, I, 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 I found the beginning of this film to be a little bit difficult. Um, so the score was one of the things keeping me on board, but you know, I definitely warmed up to it as time went on. Um, but maybe let's, let's, you know, let's turn the ship around. Yes, Mackenzie, sorry, what did I got you... us totally off kilter. <laughs> You're good. Uh, what did you, where do you want to start? Well, I mean, you want to talk about your history. I don't think either of us have seen this film. No, I have never seen it. Um, I, I think for the longest time, like when I was first getting into like movies and cinephile stuff, uh, you know, Orson Welles is someone you hear about pretty, uh, pretty quickly right he's a really iconic figurehead in this era of cinema both as an actor and a director you know citizen kane frequently talked about as the greatest movie of all time a film that we will one day talk about on this podcast because it is in the collection maybe uh <laughs> wait we've <laughs> promised kev we gotta we gotta do it it's, i know it's kidding. gonna be a big old adp criterion connection love fest on uh on on the on the citizen kane episode but um oh, yeah. yeah i watched so he's like a person I'm aware of, if that makes sense. And I think for the longest time, I maybe thought this and the lady from Shanghai were the same movie for a long time. Uh, and I <laughs> yeah. watched the lady from Shanghai and I did not like that movie at all. And his accent in that is the most horrendous thing in the world. It is distractingly oh, no. bad. He's doing this like Irish accent and I find it to be very distractingly bad. And I was very happy that he was not doing an accent in this movie. Um, so, but I do think Orson Welles is a really interesting actor. Um, his i've seen him in uh i think the long hot summer it's a paul newman movie i'm probably the totally wrong name uh at a later point in his career i've seen him in citizen kane which i thought he's really really great in not to spoil anything about that episode um lady from shanghai he's fine but the accent is bad uh and here i thought he was the best part of the movie and so i i've, I've seen Orson wells and had many different feelings about him um I guess all that to say is I had not seen this movie because I think I was just kind of confusing it with another movie. Um, but I was like, I was aware of it, I guess. And and I was mostly aware of it because of the Orson Welles of it all. Pretty much all I knew about it is like Orson Welles is in this movie. So like coming to it, that was pretty much the only thing I knew about it. So I didn't really know much about the story. Uh, I didn't know much about the other cast members. Um yeah, that's. I'm gonna stop there so I don't get into like a bigger conversation about the, this film. But like, Ian, did you have any history with this or with Orson Welles or anyone else in the cast? Carol Reed, maybe. No, not really. I mean, I have known about this film basically since joining Letterbox because I. So we mentioned last episode, it's number one sixty on their top two fifty narrative films of all time, and yeah. so it's you know it's obviously highly respected. A uh, Letterbox user who I've shouted out on the show before, Lo McKee, has a brilliant review uh, of it. But basically, that review just says like, you can like whatever you like, and taste is fine. But if you don't like the Third Man, I don't trust you. Um, which I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Um, and I know Orson, my old pal from, uh, Citizen Kane, which I've seen one time and I, you know, I am ready to be uh, won over by Kev on that future episode. <laughs> I don't hate that movie. I'm just not a fan. I, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Um, but this film does have somebody I am familiar with. My main boy, Trevor Howard. Ooh, I love me some Trevor Howard. He's really, one. okay. Oh, he's beautiful, beautiful man. He is a Noel Coward regular starring mm. in the uh, David Lean 
directed Brief Encounter, as well as a film I've talked about passionately on this podcast before, The Passionate Friend, mm. um, in which he plays said passionate friend. Uh, the titular yeah, no, I think he's great. Friend. What? I said the titular passionate friend. <laughs> yes, one of the two. Uh, the titular yeah. role. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I found him to be my favorite part of the film, which we can definitely talk mm. a little bit performances later, but... Yeah, as as opposed, um, aside from that, no, not not very familiar with this film, but I'm kind of happy we checked it off the list because it is clearly a towering achievement. Um, the thing that maybe we could you know talk about first is I am so intimidated by coming to these films like Citizen Kane, uh, but more aptly to this conversation like The Third Man where it's like these are totemic films that have like given so much to the art form and the medium of cinema. But we, you and I, Mackenzie, live here in 2023 mm -hmm. and we have benefited from all of that hard work, all that labor and all that artistic innovation. And now we see movies that utilize those techniques, utilize those tropes and, you know, henceforth day in, day out. And so it's just kind of like... You know, watching the original thing can be somewhat daunting. Am I going to like this? Is it going to play as well for me? I thought this movie played very well, uh, but I always struggle with watching the original thing because it's like I know that at the time, Canton Angles were like, ooh, new thing. And I know that there are sub subtle Canton Angles in this film and that German expressionism came way before this film. It's interesting to see the way that it's utilized the shadow work and, you know, the technical use of lighting in the film, which stood out for me in a couple key moments. But yeah, I just I just find films like this that are supposed to be these huge technical um, totems, a little daunting. Um, but I'm excited to kind of get into a little bit more. I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that or maybe that sends us in a nice little direction. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like when I watched Citizen Kane a few months ago, a few months, I guess probably about a year ago now, and, and one day, you know, we'll do it on the show. It, it does feel like, what can you say about that movie that hasn't already been said? You know, that's yeah. that's how it feels about this. And I, I think this, The Third Man isn't as intense because like Citizen Kane, I feel like just holds this place in like history that, for people that is, it, it's much bigger than The Third Man. But The Third Man obviously is still a huge deal to a lot of people. And yeah, like I, um, hmm, I don't know. Like I, I agree with you that it feels daunting to be like I'm going to come talk about this movie that many people have loved for the last sixty, eighty, you know, however many, uh, eighty years. Yeah, like eighty years of 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 the world, uh, people have loved this movie, and it's like I'm a newbie to it, and I can only speak to my own truth of this film. Um, I'm curious if you were setting that up because I'm I'm trying to read how you feel about it, so maybe I'll break the ice. I think I was kind of mid on this movie. If I'm being, if I'm being for real. Me too. Okay, that's what it's okay. Because you were setting it up, and I was like, "Are you setting something up?" Because are we on the same vibe? Um, because and I'll, I'll I'm not trying to have like a. I don't think I'm like negative on it. Like I, I don't want to give yeah. it a rating. I think I'm just like it's fine. Like it was like it was like. I, I think the cinematography was stunning. I think as the film continued, the cinematography got better and better and better. Like by the time we're in that last chunk of the movie, it looks incredible. Uh, so I see why it is such a cinematography achievement. Uh, I think it won cinematography at the Oscars, if I'm not mistaken. It was at least nominated, but it, it, it was it was highlighted for this at the time of its release. And I think rightfully so. It's a gorgeous looking movie. I think when Orson Welles is on screen, the movie is at its best for me. Um, the scene in the Ferris wheel 
was the best in the movie. I was electric. I like I Orson Welles for me, he acts in such a modern way for his time that I think it's that's what makes him so I don't know, like delectable to watch on screen. Like his his sense his like acting style is so different than I think most other people I, I watched during that time period in the 40s that like he is just so interesting to watch on screen. And I love that scene in the Ferris wheel where you watch these gears moving and you watch this kind of conniving snake move around our main character. And like when he is on screen, I am locked the fuck in, but unfortunately he is on screen for like maybe 10 minutes. And I was personally disappointed by that because he's top build. He's in the huge billing and he's like pretty much never around. And if you go to any website, you see he's Harry, He's Harry Lime. So you're sitting there being like, Harry Lime's dead. And I'm like, no, he's not. Just give me Orson Welles. Like, where is he? Yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. And so you're just. It's almost like Ben Stiller being used in primary <laughs> marketing. <laughs> yes, for nobody knows anything. With... Um, and and I, I will say, I think maybe where the disconnect happened for me, like, one, I hated the score, and that's just like a thing that existed. And it's like, that's not a movie ruining thing. I just found it really annoying and honestly took me out of a lot of the tension of the film. Like, the, the, the tension of the film for me was broken because of the, for me, just completely. Um, misused or mis misplaced score. I just I really sure, didn't like yeah. it, and it, it it took me out of the stakes of the film. And I was not particularly impressed with Joseph Cotton. I think that honestly, the root of my um kind of mehness about the movie is that I think you need to really give a fuck about Holly, and like Holly needs to be a compelling and interesting character. Uh, and I just felt like I wasn't getting anything from from Joseph Cotton. And I don't want to say that this man's a bad actor. Like obviously he he's and in over a hundred films, he's worked with Orson Welles a million times. He's in a lot of um, highly regarded films. And so I don't want to ever insult this man as an actor, but in this movie, I just didn't quite get anything from him. I loved um, Valley or Valley, whoever I saw. She sometimes she was just credited in this movie as Valley. Yeah. And I was like, love that. Well, she's like Cher, Madonna or something. Uh, she's fabulous. Orson Welles is fabulous, but the heart of the film is Holly. And I just didn't connect to him or care about him at all. And I think that for me, that is where, the um disconnect f- for this movie i think ultimately came from for me because i just kind of didn't give a shit i thought harry was a much more interesting character and we barely see him and so i was like what do i do here yeah no it's funny because i i, I didn't mention this in my brief history but i i've seen cotton in one other thing he was in the marilyn monroe vehicle niagara which i love but he is the weak point of that film um he plays her you know abusive uh, lover or husband i forget if they're married or not it doesn't matter um but yeah no i completely agree with you i found him to be so uninteresting every time he was kind of the focus of the frame i found myself drifting away <gasps> he's in citizen um, kane until... too he's like the lead of citizen kane yeah yeah, yeah no, i don't remember this man in that movie all right <laughs> he's like in six wells films um, wow, wow 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 yeah so i don't it's interesting i wonder if wells was you know you know friendly with reed and his tie to this film was getting how they got Joseph Cotton or if it was the other way around, Joseph Cotton's cast in the lead. And then Carol Reed is like, Hey, do you think your buddy Orson might want to do like a cameo in this? Um, yeah, I, but I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I found him to be just a little less than compelling. Um, I wasn't even that big of a fan of uh, Valley. If I'm being completely honest, I, you know, Oh, okay. I liked her. I found them to be both not, I found them to have, well, here's the thing Mackenzie I found them to have very little chemistry and it's probably yes. Joseph Cotton's fault because you were feeling her a little bit more and just their lack of chemistry was really bothering me and the moment the brief moment where she gets to interact with Wells there was a spark there 
And that's probably just a credit to Wells being a better actor. Um, and her character even, loves Harry. Like she, she yeah. actively turns Holly down and it's, yeah, there's no spark. That weird romantic subplot comes out of fucking nowhere. And I was like, get out of her face. What if like, I don't know. I just wish the movie was about Harry and her. Like, I don't know, but then it wouldn't be as yeah. mysterious of a film. Like I do love the level of mystery of like not knowing where Harry yeah. Lyme is. Like he's like fucking Carmen San Diego or something. It's also a film about a, like a child murderer. You know? I know, but like, I don't know. Would yeah. have been cooler to me. I don't, I just, yeah. or maybe switch, maybe just make, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if Wells could have pulled off the main character. I think Wells could have pulled off Holly just fine. I think so. And I also think that maybe, I also have like a somewhat of a problem with the main mystery at hand. I was like, it feels didn't really feel all that mysterious. And it felt like when it was revealed, it was like, whatever. Yeah. Um, and also from that point on, it's literally just like a simple manhunt, which is like maybe more interesting because of the time in which this was made. I'll say like, I'll say my favorite things about this movie were the cinematography, like you said, but specifically the location photography is really fascinating yeah. because this is being filmed in, bombed out vienna like the bombing of these places the places in which they are filming where it looks like it's bombed out is because it's really been bombed out um which i find fascinating and just like the location photography of wells up on that rubbled um building mm-hmm. as he's like coming to meet holly i found incredibly striking especially the use of shadow in this when the balloon guy is coming up and they think that it's um harry and it's not harry it's like the balloon guy that i'm referencing great real funny gag i really appreciated it that's where a lot of my enjoyment came in is in the little things like that yeah i mean there was that great shot where um when holly is running and he kind of got he gets into the car kind of and like hides in that rubble and then there's that great shot of just like wide of the the rubble on the kind of lower half of the screen and then the shadows of the guys chasing him being projected on that big brick wall. Like, yeah, like it's, it's, that's part of why I love black and white cinematography from this era when it's done so well, because like, yeah, like I love, I love black and white cinematography. I, I just love black and white movies because I love the interplay of shadows and light. And yeah, the cinematography I think is the most undeniably gorgeous thing in this movie. And I think it's probably why it's inspirational for a lot of filmmakers and a lot of people because it just looks great. But like, yeah, I just felt really, I think, disappointed by the the story and the stakes and, and, and particularly Joseph Cotton's performance just really felt kind of flat for me. He was just such a, just a, if I, like, God, if just imagining an actor like Wells being able to take that role and carry the film, I, I think I would have loved it so much more, really, genuinely. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, there was just, there was, a, I think it was the performance mixed with, I, I agree, it kind of just becomes a manhunt at the end. And if anything, there's all these questions about like, why did harry do this like why would i mean was it just money what like why did he do this how did he do this how was he like i mean we know he was moving around the city in the sewers but like i wanted to see that like i wanted to see more of the strings like if it's going to become a manhunt show me more of what harry's doing um because like just watching dudes sit in bars and wait for the bad guy isn't exciting i want to see what the bad guy is doing to avoid the other people and I could see someone very easily disagreeing with me on that. And I think rightfully so to be oh, like, yeah. well, no, Mackenzie, it's the point of view. And we point part of the mystery is we don't know what Harry's doing, but like, because Harry's a much more interesting character, I was just wishing I was with him. And yeah, he's a child murderer, but I'm like, he's so much more interesting to me than anything yeah. that's happening right now. Well, I almost think maybe start off from the very beginning, uh, the, you know, the kick off the, the action by, uh, Holly finding out that Harry is still alive and then kind of wrestling with that for the next 30 minutes of whether or not he's going to help and then decide to help in the back half of the film is like a manhunt. And 
have that maybe a visually stunning manhunt because the manhunt to me doesn't become visually stunning or interesting until the sewer chase, which is to its credit thrilling. Like I was so locked in. I was like a, I was like a thousand percent locked in. Yeah, it was really good at that point, which is like interesting because it, it saved the film for me in many ways. Like there's like, there's like 15, 20 minutes here that I find boring or um, you know dragging, and then there's like ten minutes of the film where I'm like locked in and loaded, and then it goes back to like oh you know I'm less interested now, um, which as you kind of just said, I could also see numerous people, maybe the whole of Letterbox disagreeing with me and being like no you're wrong Ian like it's all about this and like what you're actually saying is a negative is actually more of a positive and I see it this way and I'm like that's fine. That's the thing is I think the things that I find negative. I could very well see someone thinking of it as a positive, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. and I don't always, you know, I think part of being, a, you know, we're, we're people who are putting our opinions on the internet. So clearly we, we, we want to broadcast our opinions and we stand by them. That's typically what film, I, I would consider us film reviewers, you know what I mean? Like critics and we're, we're basically critics. And, and, and in that sense of the way we, <laughs> we are here to critically discuss films, um, and sometimes Hopefully. I stand by it and I'm like, no, my opinion's right. Cause like, that's what you do. Right. When you're a person who has an opinion, yeah. but like, this is a movie where I, it's unique for me because I can see all of my issues with it. Yeah. Being positives for somebody else. Like I could, I am very glad to be told I'm wrong about this movie. Cause I, I do see why people love it. I just don't think it worked for me. Yeah. I am so open to being not wrong. I don't want to say I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. It's my opinion, but I'm so open to being, you know, held to task for this opinion. I'm like more than happy to hear somebody out and be like, no, actually. And then hear like why they love this movie so much because like, yeah, like we're, we're not really hedging, but we're hedging in a way where it's like, we don't hate this movie. It just doesn't really seem to be our thing. And by and large, noir is not typically my thing personally. I like some, in fact, I like one in particular a lot, Winky Winky. Um, but I just found, like, I, I usually find the characters at the center of noirs to be like Joseph Cotton in this a little uninteresting. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like, in a way, they have to be because they are the cipher through which the story gets told. The interesting characters are the gangster who's the bad guy or the cop who's on your fucking butt because you're not getting shit done if you're a PI in the noir. And, of course, especially the femme fatale, like, almost always the most interesting character and what makes these movies so vital, important to the history of film, the history of narrative tropes in film. But I think what's most important about noir, which is why people like this movie so much and is why I'm not super in love with it is the filmmaking style and techniques that are, you know, to use this word again, essential to film noir. I don't know how much I've talked about it on the show, but I know I've told you in private, like I'm less inclined to be won over by a movie just simply through its visual stylings, through its, you know, photography, through its, you know, use of lighting and shadow, which is kind of what film noir is all about. I typically need more of an emotional center and Joseph Cotton wasn't cutting it. That being said, you know, rewinding a little bit to the technique in this film is really, really, really amazing and i was joking a little bit getting this conversation started about the canted angles <laughs> i really like their employ yeah. in this film because they're not over the top and they're used whenever somebody is being they're used in the right way when somebody's being deceptive or when somebody's nervous like when the uh butler or the um custodian at the hotel is like wants to tell um is it 
uh, oh, wants to tell Holly something else or something more or elaborate and tell the full truth. You know, you see those canted ankles start to uh, come into the frame a little bit more. And, you know, I, I, I sometimes think we place a little too much emphasis and uh, weight in those kinds of techniques. Like we give them too much narrative um, weight mm. is what I'm trying to say. And I felt like their use was great here, yeah. but that's pretty much all I ever have to say about those kinds of things. Whereas like if something is, you know, emotionally or, um, I guess more, truly narratively complex, there's a lot more to talk about and a lot more to mine from that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the subtle use of these kind of camera techniques are, are great. Like I almost never, I, I noticed them, but like not to an annoying point like i'm like oh this just works so well for me and i and i want to say like i'm someone who like i consider myself a film noir fan for sure like i um double indemnity was like the movie that made me fall in love with with film noir and um you know ace in the hole which we've discussed before is technically i think considered a somewhat of a noir and and we both like loved that movie sunset boulevard i mean i'm talking only billy wilder movies at this point but like you know my man bogey is in a lot like maltese falcon and dark passage and big sleep and uh redacted movie i don't know <laughs> uh detour another great a picture in the in the collection um out of the past i just watched for the uh our friend guti's film uh oh gosh it's noir maze i believe noir maze, noir maze yes. journey that if you um aren't subscribed to finite cinema dreams on substack do so and join the discord and join our awesome you can join it late our little noir journey third man is actually a part of that journey um so uh apologies guti for everything we've said in this episode but um that's been such a great uh excuse to watch more noir this month like i definitely consider myself a noir fan but i don't think that's infallible and i think my favorite noir is yeah you have these characters you can anchor to like to me like double indemnity is the blueprint and i think of like barbara stanwyck is like one of the greatest femme fatales on screen. Fred McMurray plays a great um, kind of morally ambiguous central man. You know what I mean? What, what Joseph Cotton for me failed to do in this film. Like I think he's playing a really great kind of morally ambiguous every man who is carrying the film. And then we have Eddie G uh, one of the greatest actors ever I think uh, sort of in the I guess Orson Welles role in terms of the third build, but still important character like that film, that film for me. And it also has all the beautiful uh, filming techniques and a tight script like that that movie is the peak of film noir to me and so yeah i basically just want to say like i am a huge fan of film noir and so yeah the things that i recognize in this film as being like so um key to the genre and key to just influencing directors that that came after this movie right um i see all of that and i love all of that but i, I think just in this movie it didn't quite coalesce into something that i found um completely compelling i guess yeah and yet and yet yeah mackenzie i am running out of things to say and i know that this is going to be a little bit of a shorter discussion and maybe that is just you know the way that the cookie crumbles sometimes but did you have anything else that you wanted to add before we give our final thoughts and star ratings um not really i mean again like half my lines were, half my notes were about the the score i guess because every time it popped in at like really intense moments i was like get the fuck out of here um if you don't mind i guess i'll go into my final thoughts um and rating if that's all right um yeah i again like it's one of those movies i'm glad i watched it glad i've seen it maybe for me maybe i put too much weight on it maybe my expectations were too high for it because last week right we see it's 160 or whatever on the top 250 of all time you know what i mean like that that shows that at least a large portion of our our online community that we are a part of cinephiles 
loves this movie. So maybe my expectations were a little too high. So maybe, maybe further down the road, I can appreciate it a little bit more. Um, I think it looks beautiful. I, I actually, I like a lot of the writing. I think I like, I think that like, I love Orson Welles and I love Valley. Like I, I really liked some of the performances, but to me, Joseph Cotton's performance just did not carry the film in the way that it needed to in a way that made it ultimately quite, quite uncompelling to me, unfortunately. And I did find the script, the the score to be distractingly bad. So I think I'm very middle of the road. I see why it's so good. And I think that it is a movie that is not, I, I, I think the floor for this is where I'm putting it, which is three stars. I'm, I'm right in the middle of it. It's a good movie. I just don't think it, did much for me in terms of the noir films I love and am drawn to. And uh, ultimately that, I, that if Joseph Cotton or it was a little bit better or there was a different actor in that role, I could easily have seen this being a four-star movie for me. And I thought it was going to be a four-star movie for me for a while. And then I just kind of, yeah, I felt disappointed by the lack of, of Wells and just kind of where the story ended. It, that wonderful ending wasn't enough to quite bump it up to, to four for me. So yeah, unfortunately I'm at three stars for this movie. Ian, what about you? You know, uh, I mean, I would echo a lot of your sentiments and basically say that, like, I chalk it up to not being a big fan of the genre in general. Um, and I, I feel like that always causes me to wait for something to blow me out of the water. And I also feel like this was a, um, a victim of high expectations where it's, you know, it's 160 on that list that we've been mentioning a bunch on our favorite website, Letterboxd um and also just highly regarded it's got you know a score that's you know one of the best that's ever been written um no (laughs) just kidding with you but yeah no having wells in it brings a certain pedigree carol reed is a name i know i would say that at the end of the day i i definitely agree with you that cotton was not a standout for me and i really struggled with that performance but i really enjoyed orson wells in the role especially that um reveal of him like what a movie star entrance especially oh, yeah. in a film noir like a great 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 moment that definitely bumped it up for me a little bit and we didn't get to talk about him but i really 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 love trevor howard in this small role he's as really Major good Calloway. yeah yeah there's just something about that man he's got such charisma he's got a very just very like almost stereotypical 1950s British debonair air about him. I uh, really loved him in that. And I thought he kind of brought a little bit of juice to all the scenes with Joseph Cotton that would have not had it otherwise. But yeah. Um, See, what's funny to me too, is that I think he was really good, but he read as a villain to me. So when he started being like the good guy, I was like, what? Like he has, he's got a little mustache twirly. Yeah, vibe. Like he seemed like he was supposed to be the villain. And then the main character was like, no, I love cops. <laughs> like, And I was like, dude, what? <laughs> like I, I was, yeah, great performance, but I was like confused by his place in the story, I guess. Yeah. To me, he's always got that thing of like Disney, Disney villains in the Renaissance era that were like somewhat <laughs> queer coded. Yes. He's a little like, you know, Oh, how dare I? Like, you know, just a little more flamboyant. And I I I identify with that and I like it. Uh but yeah, I'm I'm the same as you. I am mid on this movie and three stars just because of, you know, everything we've talked about. And it's just one of those films that for me, for me, falls into a, you know, style over substance category. And that's typically where I struggle with film noir. But I understand that that is actually a lot of people's thing, and I'm happy that i'm happy to have my mind changed or my mind opened a little bit more in the future um but yeah at at this time 
it is also starting at the at the basement of three stars that this film is probably always going to start at. <sighs> Look mm. at us. Look well, at us. Mid on the third man. Mid on the third man. Groundbreaking stuff from here on the Criterion Connection. And, you know, I'm pretty sure we don't have any letters or voicemails this week. So if you want to send us your hate mail because you're so mad that we gave <laughs> the third man three stars, six banger uh, total, uh. you can email us at thecriterionconnection at gmail.com. And uh, we'll share your hate mail on the show and we will we will uphold your opinions. Or you can just also send us letters about whatever you want, including what we might be watching next week, which Ian, we've been we've been hinting at it. I wonder if anyone's guessed it. Like, come on. Come Ooh. on, guys. I'm so excited. Um, once again, this is a pithy uh, letterbox synopsis. So just to vamp briefly, this is a movie I discovered on the Criterion channel during an encore. They were playing it again after many times having it on the channel. And it's got your main man. My yes. boyfriend. Mackenzie's boyfriend, <laughs> Bogey. Um, yeah, and somebody who I really love, a star of the era, uh, Gloria She's Graham, so who is amazing in this movie. And I recently saw her in a film um, called The Big Heat from Fritz Lang starring Glenn Ford, which is a it's a film noir as well, um, but it's kind of a um, you know tough cop takes on an entire crime syndicate by himself. <laughs> And, you know, that's a very typical film noir thing. And I think we got that with The Third Man as well. What I really like about this film is how it kind of subverts the tropes of the genre a little bit. It is a film noir in style mostly and in some tropes, but really it's just a character study of a broken down man and uh, his aspiring actress girlfriend. So Letterboxd describes this film as the Bogart suspense picture with the surprise finish. An aspiring actress begins to suspect that her temperamental boyfriend is a murderer. Bum, 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 bum. A single bum, sentence bum, bum, bum. synopsis over here on Letterboxd. It, wow. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's short and not very descriptive of the film in my recollection. A film which I have rated at four stars currently. I have it at four stars currently. Um, a star. Yeah, you do. Our friend Gucci, our uh, friend of the show, Gucci, has it rated at five. And basically every single mutual of mine has it rated at five. So we're a little on the lower end, I, I guess. You know, I have been dying to rewatch this. Everyone knows I've been on my bogey journey. It was like the second or third movie I watched him in. And I have now seen 40 plus films with Bogart in it. And I think I have a greater context of him as an actor and also a person. I actually just today bought the brand new Bogey and Bacall book that came out semi-recently. So I'll be oh, reading that, awesome. uh, getting a bit more context about his life. Um, I love him so much and my love for him has grown exponentially since I first watched this movie. So I have been dying to rewatch this because um, there's a great quote that I actually have on my Bogart list. If you'll indulge me that I love um, from a, a woman named Louise Brooks, who's an actress in, in, in that era. And she wrote a essay called uh, Humphrey and Bogey. And she said she felt the character in this film is the closest to the real Bogart. And she said, quote, before the inertia set in, which again, he was um, very sick near the end of his life. And she's sort of talking about that. And he played this character near the end of his life, which I feel like gives a weird kind of meta context to the performance. But she said, before the inertia set in, he played one fascinatingly complex character craftily directed by Nicholas Ray in a film whose title perfectly defined Humphrey's own isolation among people. In a Lonely Place gave him a role that he could play with the complexity because the character's pride in his art, his selfishness, his drunkenness, his lack of energy stabbed with lightning strokes of violence were shared equally by the real Bogart. 
Um, and so I find it interesting her viewing this as like the, the, this, this broken um, man, this character being the closest to the real mm. broken man that was Humphrey Bogart. Um, mm. So oh, I love that. yeah, I just, I've been dying to rewatch this because my love for him has grown so much since I first watched it. So yeah. Um, I was so glad when you said you wanted to pick this because I've been really wanting to revisit and I, I do, I have a, I have a deep love for this man. I, I, yeah, yeah I'm excited. Yeah, me too. I've, I've been honestly been wanting to rewatch it for like three or four months at this point. Um, and I'm, I just remember it being one of those older movies that I've just immediately fell in love with. I've talked about my relationship with movies from the first half of the 20th century, on this film where it's a little bit harder for me to get invested in them. But every now and again, there's one where I'm like, holy shit, my name is Ian Layden and I love movies. <laughs> um, so yeah, like super excited to finally put it back on. Uh, I believe it is on Criterion Channel. Let uh, me, it's no. on Tubi. It is, LOL. It is gone, but it is on Tubi. So you can watch it for free on Tubi along with us or it is the sale. It's sale time. I might pick it up. You can go yeah. to Barnes and Noble and get yourself it for fifty percent off. But yeah. Well, Mackenzie, anything else? Nothing else from me. I am very excited for our our final Noir Vimber film this year. Yes, exciting stuff. Got to get myself a fedora. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, until then. See you next time on the Criterion Connection. <laughs>